don't know why I did that. I sound like I'm being thrown down a well. Uh, I mean, we're recording in my apartment. It's not like we're recording in a giant cavern and I'm yeah. about to... Shock of shocks, we're in our apartment. Yes. Uh, and this is actually take two of us trying to record. We had kind of a technical difficulty. But we are back, everyone. Welcome to the Wages of Cinema. Uh, you might say welcome to the quarant wages of cinema i'm yes. jack and, and of course, i am quarantine duty Corey. yeah and of course uh we made i made this joke already but i'll make it again your duties have largely been watching tv <laughs> and searching twitter yes because <laughs> and eating lots of strawberries and eating literal pounds strawberries. <laughs> um, i'm surprised you're not a strawberry right now <laughs> so I've been on that work from home life since, well, March 11th was my last day of in-person work. So I've been living that work from home life since March 12th, whereas you, on the other hand, actually have to physically go to work every day. So. Yeah, I, I I don't know if it's a mistake yet, you know, waiting to see, but, uh, you know, I, I had the kind of weird timing of uh, starting to work for the post office before uh, this whole thing started to come down. And, uh, yeah, it's been kind of interesting. What a time to start there. What a time to be alive. And, <laughs> yeah, what a time to be working there. But uh, but we're not going to talk about that. We're here to talk about movies because yes. that's what we always try to do. And I had this idea to... Um, kind of in a similar way, uh, years ago, right after the uh, 2016 election, uh, Andrew and I did an episode where we talked about movies to take your mind off of the election because that was a similar time where you know there, were, you know, people were feeling really just didn't you know, people didn't know what to do with themselves. So I tried to come up with some movies that you could watch. You know, Singing in the Rain was one of them. Uh, but we have a different idea with this episode. We are, you know, giving you kind of some movies to watch while in quarantine, which, you know, th that's that seems like a very tall order because you could do like a list of like 10 movies or 20 movies because, you know, how long is this going to last? But we decided to make it very narrow. And so we picked three each. Yeah. And each movie represents a particular type. So... The three types we're going to recommend. Yeah, roughly. One, roughly. One movie that you can use to directly engage with your coronavirus anxiety. It's, it's what we're thinking about. So one movie that it directly addresses your coronavirus anxiety. That's type one. Type two is a really fun comedic escape. Uh, escapist entertainment. And type three... A movie that's been on your to-watch list for a long time, but you've never gotten around to it. In the last few weeks, I watched a movie that was no joke on my to-watch list for 20 years. Yeah, kind of similar for me, too. And Well, yeah, and it's been... It was, like, literally one of those movies that... You know, and I'll talk about more, but it's something that... You know, almost... I have, like, familial ties in a weird way to this <laughs> movie. Um, but yeah, and so that's, you know, and my, my movie that, that my movie will not necessarily directly confront will be, 
Well, you, you'll you'll hear about it. You're but... a more creative type than I am. Well, I'll, I'm not gonna say that. You're you're pretty creative. You creatively hug. <laughs> you find new ways to hug. I do. You you find you're you're like a <laughs> jazz musician. You you find variations <laughs> on like the hug technique. Um, okay, but what? Well, the first thing we have to talk about, obviously, then is the. You know it, the obvious that everyone is talking about because it's very high on the, the the watch meter on iTunes and other streaming platforms is uh, Steven Soderbergh's Contagion. Yes, the movie I chose to want to watch to directly confront my coronavirus anxiety. Well, I chose two of them. I only recommend one of them though. Yeah, and these are both movies that I had seen before, so these were rewatches, but. I rewatched Contagion kind of before everything totally locked down. It was a few weeks ago, right around the time I was told my services would no longer be necessary at an in-person location. Yeah, it was in the first week of March we we watched this movie, which was when we knew that, you know, shit was getting real, but it wasn't yet at the, you know, stay at home, don't go out and have you know, social contact with people, you know, this is a, a real thing that is going to make people sick. And, and you know, and now it's you know, yeah. for a lot of reasons, it's become a disaster. But but this movie uh, is, so, you know, it's so literally like it, it predicts so much of what this has become. Um, but it's also different because like what I love so much about Contagion is that it, it you know, it, he he doesn't have things necessarily in the movie that are the typical like I'm going to plant this and then pay it off later type thing. Um, it's just we're seeing a you know, unraveling of events, and it's you know very sometimes sudden and tragic, and you know you don't know what to do, but. At their, but you see people also trying to solve the problem. Yeah, and I almost feel silly talking about Contagion because yesterday we watched Dan Olson's video on Contagion. And yeah. it was so good. And he said everything I would want to say so much better than I ever could. But I would say Contagion is an excellent watch be, um, because on the one hand... There are things about it that are obviously pretty tense and upsetting now, on the one hand. But on the other hand, I think there are two things about Contagion that actually made me feel better. Mm. One is that the illness in Contagion is much worse than coronavirus. The illness in Contagion has a fatality rate of about 25%. Yeah. Whereas the coronavirus, the fatality rate is much 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 lower it's much much lower but something i was i was thinking about this that i would think that if steven soberg had made that movie you know five or six years later it wouldn't have been as i can't believe i'm saying this word it wouldn't have been as hopeful well, as as it is now, like because it's all it's you know it's a movie about a deadly outbreak made during the Obama administration. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the other thing, is that there are a lot... There's a... Contagion is kind of like competence porn. <laughs> there are a lot of smart 
like brilliant dedicated people working selflessly on solving this problem so for all the chaos and mayhem there's also enough characters that give you this sense of hope and they give you this sense of intelligent people are working on this and and this and, and this isn't to say that you know there are obviously people you know so many so many people right now who are working to you know solve this crisis they're not visible to us though no no it's just there are certain people i won't say their names who go on tv and they make the jude law character in contagion look reasonable (laughs) well the funny thing is the jude law character the jude law character if anything is not bad enough (laughs) for like the real grifter yeah i absolutely love contagion what i love about it is again i'm biting this from dan olsen he said that it has a very sociological approach to its storytelling yeah that was that was what i was trying to mention as far as like how it's focusing more on the behavior of how a society acts in this situation yeah, so there, there's not traditional narrative arts for a lot of the characters, but it's both incredibly tense, but in an understated, realistic kind of way, it's not bombastic. So it has a feel of such authenticity that makes the dark parts of the movie especially chilling, yeah. but that also makes the hopeful part of the movie generally hopeful. Yeah. And it's also just you know excellent performances across the board um you know even before we watch the movie i i have you know certain images and scenes from this movie that just they'll play in my head and you know one of them is matt damon when you know he's being told by the doctor that you know his he's married to gwyneth paltrow in the movie the basic premise with his storyline is that his that gwyneth paltrow goes to china on a business thing, she gets infected, comes back, you know, basically, you know, immediately succumbs to the virus and goes in the hospital and, and then is told by the doctor, your wife died. And Matt Damon's reaction to this news is like some of the best acting of his it's career. So good. And then also, um, yeah. So you just, when you watch that scene, like I've had that scene in my head, Kate Winslet, I think her storyline is spectacular. Yeah. Like she has a scene in a hotel room that I'm not going to say what happens, but I just feel like there's the range of what she goes through in this one moment is just staggering, you know, knowing, and then, you know, knowing how, you know, how this, what this means to her, but she puts a professional face on it. It's just, it, 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 it breaks your heart because Soderbergh doesn't sentimentalize it. Exactly. And I know this is a cliche, but whenever you hear that cliche about a movie being, you know, built like a Swiss watch, yeah, that's contagion. Yes. There's, there's not like an ounce of fat on this movie. It, it moves like it's such a good pace. You know, the music is oh, very great. tense. Uh, you know, just a lot of great shots at times of like, em- you know, empty airports and empty places, which 
sound familiar now to you? <laughs> uh, you know, or even now I think about two the scenes where you see Kate Winslet arranging, you know, we have to make this school into a hospital and, you know, we need to set up all these beds. And, you know, that's something I'm, I think about now too is very prescient and how, you know, we're, we're now people are having to transform, you know, so many places for basic hospital needs now. Yeah. So basically I feel like it's inevitable that we're going to think about the coronavirus. So with Contagion, this is an excellent movie with which you can directly confront your fear. So that's my yeah. recommendation. Yeah. Why now? Why does Outbreak not work for you? Outbreak is my anti recommendation. <laughs> so, which is funny because there are a couple of moments in Outbreak that have stayed with me since I was you know, it saw the movie theater kid. scene. It was the movie theater that scene, scene and really and there was also the scene where the guy. And like he first reconnects with his girlfriend. And I think they're in an airport. Yeah. And I just had this memory of him like actually like kissing her yep. and the camera like spins around them. And it's like, Oh no, what are you doing? You're, you're sick. Don't do that. Well, I, and I just remember a lot of Dustin Hoffman yelling. Well, the, thing, <laughs> the thing with Outbreak, I had seen Outbreak multiple times as a child. My friend really liked it. And when we were kids, we watched it together multiple times. But I haven't seen it in many years. And I popped it on a few days after Contagion. Yeah. First off, it did not benefit from being viewed after Contagion. Okay. If I had viewed it before Contagion, maybe I would have been a little more forgiving. But the movie, the reason why it didn't work for me is it's very silly. It's very bombastic. And it's so obviously a Dustin Hoffman vanity project. <laughs> the other thing, too, is wow. now as an adult, I know things about the way Dustin Hoffman conducts himself on movie sets that I did mm. not know as a child. And huh. I know that he's a super duper tyrannical asshole. And to me, it's pretty apparent that he probably threw his muscle around to get the movie rewritten in a way that it's like a hagiography of his character. Wow. Uh, that's, that's pretty staggering to see. Because I don't really, I mean, I feel like I remember it being a little bit more of an ensemble piece, uh, not to the extent of Contagion, but that Renee Russo's in the movie. Yeah. And, and, uh, and Donald Sutherland, I remember being kind of the bad guy. Well, the reason, yeah, Donald Sutherland, first of all, there's way too much like military stuff and not enough disease but, um, okay. busting stuff. So it's way, and it's way too focused on angry macho posturing. Yeah. And while Contagion is very unsentimental and businesslike and restrained, Outbreak, I think I said to you that if Contagion was a human being and that human being got a head injury... It would be Outbreak. <laughs> I, I, well, I, I remember an Outbreak being kind of enjoyable for what it was. It just uh, rated me. But, but, it, but it also is more of a movie of its time. It's made, you know, that was made in like the 90s as kind of like more of like a disaster movie in a way. Um, and, you know, it, that, that's more of like a big studio 
production, whereas Contagion feels more like, I'm not going to say a personal vision, but it's made by people, mm-hmm. you know, Steven Soberg and I think Scott Burns is, was the writer of the script. They had more of a, let's try to approach this this way. Now, you know I love plenty of dumb movies. I may or may not be recommending a deeply stupid movie later in this very podcast. But of course. the kind of, like, aggressive, angry stupidity of Outbreak really grated on my nerves when I rewatched it. Mm, so it, it's not, like, fun stupidity. And actually, um, my friend and I disagree about this, because I told you I watched Outbreak multiple times as a kid because my friend really liked it, and we were talking about it a few weeks ago. And she still thinks Outbreak is really fun. And she said just the opposite, that she doesn't want to watch a realistic movie about hmm. a pandemic. She I, wants to watch a movie that's big and dumb and loud and silly. I, I, I can kind of get that, too. Um, yeah, I, 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 have, I can get that as well. Because like, I think there are some people who might say a contagion's a little too dry. It's a little too clinical. Um, again, I, I might... I would disagree with that, but I could see someone having that point of view and, you know, wanting that in a way, even it's like it confronts the issue, but as a little bit more of like at a remove. So you can, yeah, you know, you don't feel like this is happening now. Oh my God, what are we going to do? Um, you know, pl- you know, plus it's, I just remember the part where, like the camera does this crazy thing you know, to d- demonstrate what's happening. And Dustin Hoffman just says, it's airborne. <laughs> yeah. That, there are some good scenes in the movie. Now, even though you watched contagion with me, contagion is not your official recommendation for the purposes of this part of the podcast. No. So give us your official recommendation. No, my, my recommendation for this type of thing is, uh, technically, you could say a comedy, uh, but you know, quite a comedy. This is is uh, Doctor Strangelove. Excellent. Choice. Or how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. <laughs> I'm sure at some point, you know, in this podcast history, I've talked about this movie probably more than once. But for the purposes of this, um, if you haven't seen Doctor Strangelove, I mean, what are you doing? Stop this podcast right now. Go turn it on. Uh, I, I just, I actually haven't rewatched the movie in full in a while. I probably should, uh, you know, rectify that. Cause I rewatched a, a couple of clips before we started recording and I was just like, man, what a movie. Um, and obviously in this case, Dr. Strangelove, you know, that, that movie is dealing with, uh, nuclear disaster that's dealing with, you know, somebody gets the bomb and, uh, you know, now what's going to happen? The bomb's on a trajectory that's unstoppable. But to me, why this feels like a movie for right now to watch is, you know, you're dealing with a movie. It's really about what are people who are in, you know, very close quarters, not quite, you know, maybe practicing social distancing. I don't know how much feet they're separated by in that war room. Uh, but you have th- this group of people who are coming at loggerheads because they, you know, are faced with this crisis. And, you know, what are we going to do? 
every time we hear a perspective casualty estimate, I think without fail. No, I'm not saying we wouldn't get our hair mugged. <laughs> Twenty million, depending on the breaks. <laughs> I Which think- is also <laughs> your a line that your dad has yeah. quoted your whole life. Yeah, so it's in my mind. But well, yeah, I mean, you, well, you think about too. Um, you know, uh, with the exception maybe of uh Turgeson, who's the general George C. Scott character, you know, would we you know would we want some of those people in charge right now of this crisis? Would they be <laughs> doing a better job? I think actually President Muffley would be doing a better job than our current president. That's just me. You uh, couldn't find someone to do a worse job. So I mean you know, you ma- like that scene where he's on the phone with the Russian president. Oh, oh, it's so good. Well, you know, we had a guy who he went a little funny. <laughs> you know, he went a little funny in the head, and you know, he went and is not he's on his way to attack your country. Uh, no, 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 stop. No, <laughs> now, how do you think I feel? <laughs> such a quotable movie oh so quotable you know i i have to be restrained from going into a sterling hayden as jack d ripper <laughs> come on mandrick uh you know he it's just and uh, you know it's it's both a very funny movie but it's also very scary because you know you see the potential of the worst in humanity yeah. and i think that's something that's you know, you can watch that movie and and it, it it holds up, first of all, just because it's such a hell of a directed movie that, you know, Kubrick put, you know, all of his faculties into, you know, just the details of everything. But uh but again, but you but you remember the people and you remember how you know they, they unravel all these details now uh, you know, Doctor Strangelove explains everything at times, and how crazy some of his <laughs> how he puts things are. Uh, but yeah, it, it's a way of conf- like you could watch this, and even though it's not exactly as specific as Contagion, it feels like a movie for right now. Uh, in that way of how you know, you know what what does what do the people in charge? What are they going to do? when they have to face a crisis. Yeah, and like a lot of great movies, it feels both specific and timeless. Yeah, that's what I was trying to get at. That's a better way to phrase it. It's very specific, but also timeless, you know, because it's it's referring to the Cold War, which, you know, we're not in now, but, but, it is, but we're always facing some type of, you know, quote, war. You know, even you could say this pandemic is a war, um, you know, and how we face that is, you know, how we're going to either live or not live. And that that's something that, you know, it's it's scary to think about it. But what makes it so timeless is because it's so funny. Yeah. You know, you're not, you know, it's it's uh, now I could say that my not recommend in that way would be fail safe, but fail safe is also kind of awesome. You haven't seen fail safe, have no, you? No, no. That was the film that uh, is basically the serious ver- quote unquote serious version of Dr. Strangelove that came out like at exactly the same time. It was a Sidney Lumet movie, actually. And 
you know that that basically is dealing with you know a, a, a ship that's carrying a bomb and you know henry fonda is the president and uh walter Matthau is in that and he's i don't know if he's quite the george c scott character but he is someone who's you know very loud in the room you know walter Matthau talking like this <laughs> and uh but i would still you know that that would be a good watch too but i would really say dr strangelove just you know because of its gigantic scope and how like i said it 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 feels like a movie for right now um i would understand if you don't feel like watching it but i would still recommend it for the reasons i've I've said all right so let's go in a completely opposite direction let's say you you want to take your mind off things now this is tricky because we need to recommend a movie that's light enough to take your mind off things but I know you have this problem. I have this problem, too, where if the movie you're watching or the TV show you're watching isn't good enough, you're just going to be glued to your phone the whole time. You're not going to relax. Yeah. So my escapist film that I watched over the last few weeks, this is also a movie I had seen multiple times, so this is not a new movie, but I had yet another viewing recently of Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story. Oh, yeah! I want to watch this movie on my deathbed, actually, because it's <laughs> so... Arrange this for me, because I am convinced... Corey, you don't want any part of this! <laughs> I am convinced, I've seen this movie several times now, that Walk Hard is one of the very funniest movies ever made. It's so spot on a... A parody of like every music movie cliche uh you know down to you know it's basically the skeleton is uh i was about to say walk hard again but no it's <laughs> walk the line but it takes from so many different pl- uh, movies and it's just so wonderfully silly like the whole film it just it, it has such an infectious pardon uh, the, 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 the expression uh it, you know it, it it fills you with such joy because of you know john c Riley is so committed to this character she won an oscar <laughs> uh, well i don't know there was a little bit of competition that year oh wait that was 2007 right yeah so that was daniel day lewis and there'll be blood all right john c Riley shouldn't have won an oscar <laughs> He could have been nominated. He should have gotten nominated. Yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen it, I don't know how else to describe it, except it charts the life and history of Dewey Cox. Literally, it happens as he is standing behind stage before he's about to go out, and Tim Meadows makes sure to tell us he has to think about his entire (laughs) life before he goes. And, And we see his life story, and it just embraces so much uh, t- of 20th century pop music, uh, you know, down to, you know, there's a point where he meets the Beatles, for example, <laughs> which is, you know, oh, that scene. Oh. Like, And what's funny is that it's a movie that you could tell it's from, like, the Apatow te- you know, group of, of performers. Like, I think he produced it. Um, and at times, like that Beatles scene, it feel you know you could feel the improv, but it feels not. It doesn't feel like it goes on too long or it's too loose. It yes. feels just right. 
it is by far if i didn't even know that it came out of like the apatow collective if it yeah, did it is by ma- far the best ma- thing they ever did. matter of fact i'm not sure if i told you this before but uh a little factoid that i had heard about there is one moment where i'm not i don't even remember exactly what the context is but is this the cock yeah that is judd apatow's cock Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he makes a cameo in this movie. Yeah, I'm sorry if I spoiled that for anyone, but yeah, there's a point where you see a penis, and that may probably be Judd Apatow's dick. That's the scene where Dewey's in a hotel room after a night of debauchery, and his kind of shrewish first wife calls him on the phone. Yes. And... I'm actually very proud that we saw this movie in the theater because sadly this movie tanked theatrically. I think we saw this movie, I think it opened on Christmas. And the problem is when that, like you have so many movies that open like around Christmas time. And I think this was just one that kind of got lost in the shuffle. And the other thing about this movie is the songs are great. Yeah. I think for a fake music biopic, you've got to hit precisely the right note with the songs, where the songs obviously have to be silly because it's a comedy. Yeah. But they also have to be good enough that you can buy into the comic premise of the movie. Yeah. And the songs hit exactly the right note. Jenna Fisher's also in it. If you're a huge Office fan who also loves the Office Ladies podcast, and you're just like in love with Jenna Fisher. Jenna Fisher's also in this. Yeah, and she's she's very funny. Uh, she basically plays the Reese Witherspoon character yeah. from Walk the Line, and you know it's just just so much great because because these rock music mo- these music movies, you know, they have so many of the cliches. Yeah, and that's what it has. I'm going to make a bold claim. It almost ranks up there with something like Airplane as far as taking a particular type of movie that has taken itself a little too seriously and skewering it just right. I mean... The, <laughs> the wrong kid died! The wrong kid died! <laughs> like, you know funny, too? I'm thinking Jack is watching BoJack Horseman now, oh yeah. and Margot Martindale is in the movie, so now when I rewatch the movie oh, again, I for- oh, I forgot about I'm that. always going to think character actress Margot Martindale. Yeah. But even but even if you're not familiar with... Uh, you know, all of the movies that this is spoofing. Like, you know, just like with Airplane, you know, you didn't have to have seen the airport movies yeah. to to find Airplane funny. You know, walk, you know, walk Hard is just, yeah, it, the songs are so, you know, funny. Like, the lyrics for all of them, how John C. Riley performs them. Uh, you know, there's a point I remember in the movie where he's going, he's spiraling down the hill. <laughs> And it's just so delightful. Oh, I love the scene too, where he's in rehab and he's like, "Blankets, no more blankets." <laughs> Walk hard is seriously one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. I cannot yeah. recommend it highly enough. So that's my escapist movie. Yeah. Um. It, similar in that respect, like I was actually originally I was gonna mention I was gonna recommend something a little bit so speak harder. Uh, <laughs> Because I had recently watched a kind of 
underseen exploitation movie called Turkey Shoot. Um, I don't know if I should go into that much detail about that, but that's not the movie I'm going to recommend okay. now. I'm actually going to do something that is, in a way, similar to what you had, but not like a uh, a fictionalized movie. This is actually a, a concert movie. Um, I, I've, I actually haven't seen this start to finish in a while, uh, but I've seen a number of people who, I've, for some reason or another, have rewatched this recently, and it got me thinking this is a perfect movie to escape to right now is the talking heads concert movie stop making sense have you ever seen this no i'm not really a big talking heads fan so it never really uh, appealed to me see it's funny i'm not i'm not necessarily the hugest talking heads fan either i mean i like the songs that i like but this but the, the way that this movie is presented it's just uh it is such a shot like a shotgun blast of joy to your system <laughs> i don't know how else to say it because the way that uh it was directed by jonathan demi and you know he doesn't do anything that fancy with the camera he just is shooting the talking heads in concert and what's so cool about it is that it opens kind of in a way gradually because at first the the first number is a uh, psycho killer but it's just david bird on stage performing it on, on guitar and then the next song they add he adds a couple more performers and then the next song a couple more and eventually it builds to you know the whole band is now on stage and it it it, it every song it, it makes it feel like wow, how am I not a Talking Heads fan? Um, you know, you have a lot of the songs that you probably have heard of on the radio, but there are a lot of songs that you might not have heard of, but he, you know, the way that it's presented is uh, you f you feel the joy of all the, you feel the, the, the love that, for lack of a better word, that David Byrne and the band are putting into all these songs. And... I I know I need to watch this movie again because I you know loved the movie when I watched it you know several years ago and I feel like this is something that right now you could just throw on you know stop making sense you know even again even if you're not the biggest talking heads fan I think this movie uh could really could kind of turn you on to it a little bit more that's a good idea. And then afterwards, if you want even more David Byrne, you can rewatch John Mulaney's The Sack Lunch Bunch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you popped up in that. Right. I think I, what's funny is he actually also um, recently, John Mulaney, uh, well, I say recently, but this was like, you know, before all this happened, uh, he hosted Saturday Night Live and the musical guest was David Byrne. But David Byrne actually popped up in a couple of uh, sketches. Like I don't know if you watched it with me. Like this is the uh, this. There was a sketch involving um, ordering sushi at the airport. The LaGuardia, yeah. And like there are just a whole bunch of different song numbers, and David Byrne pops up in that and does a <laughs> song involving getting airport sushi, and that was uh, you know pretty amazing. Uh, so yeah, uh, yeah. So that that's my pick is stop making sense. 
again, if you have seen it before, I think it's just just the right you know thing to throw on that will you know get your toe tapping and you know it, it you you it has no you know you're not you're not going to watch it and think like oh my god this is making me think about right now um but what's cool is that you know the songwriting and the lyrics and just everything and a lot of those performances and it just even the you know take me to the river his cover of the al green song oh mm, chef's kiss <laughs> Uh, so yeah, and now we come to our third category. Okay, a movie that has been on our to-watch list for a long time. And the reason I thought of this category was I thought that... And now this is a movie I have seen recently, too. Okay, so I was thinking that, you know, maybe give yourself a little, a little accomplishment. Pat yourself on the back for... We all have those movies that we've been meaning to watch forever, and yeah. we've just never gotten around to it. Well, a few weeks, like, maybe like a week or two ago, I watched a movie that, as I mentioned earlier, had been on my to-watch list basically since it came out. And it came out, like, 20 years ago. You are going to mock me so much for what I've selected. Please go ahead. I'm looking forward to the mocking. Do you know what movie I'm talking about? I don't. The Skulls. I am looking at you <laughs> with a bemused joy and, and not an only... Alan Rickman voice. <laughs> I am going to recommend this movie, too. Oh, God. It's not just that <laughs> I got the feeling of accomplishment of finally watching a movie I wanted to see when I was, like, 14 when it came out, but I really enjoyed this movie. No, don't get me wrong. This movie is bad. It, <laughs> it earns its four percent on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> it really has a four percent. I thought so. Let me just double check. So somebody actually gave this a good review. Somebody was it Armin White? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I really like this movie, and I'm sure uh, anyone listening to this is probably like, "What is she talking okay, about?" Okay, well now oh, I. Oh, no, it was a nine on. Oh my god! Uh, see, I, it's funny though because I this came out at a time where uh, I I would just go see anything in the theater. I was, you know, a total movie theater rat. Uh, you know, but by that though, the movie theaters that were kind of close by to me, um, like I didn't go into New York City to see movies, but I did see the Skulls when it first came out, and I kind of remember being not very impressed by it. I, I found it kind of stupid and silly, and, but not in like a charming way. Uh, you know, I also, I think maybe took movies a little too seriously at the time. So maybe I didn't find the, uh, you know, the, the campiness of it like you did. Uh, I just remember it being kind of, you know, having a lot of really dumb twists. So dumb. Because the, it, well, basically it involves, a kind of take on the skull and bones uh, uh, type of organization, right? Yeah, so the reason... What, 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 like, what happens in this okay. movie? Okay, so I want to see this movie when it came out back in the day because the lead is Joshua Jackson, and I thought he was totally dreamy when I was a teenager. I watched Austin's Creek. He, he has a look to him. And I thought he was really cute, and so I wanted to see this movie he was in. But... 
When I was a teenager, I actually didn't go to the movies with my friends very often. I also lived in a rural area where there was a movie theater about 20 minutes away that only showed two movies. So if I wanted to go to a multiplex, it was like a 40-minute drive. So I didn't go to the movies with my friends very often. I predominantly went to the movies with my father. And I assume my father had no tolerance for this nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) You never know. But, well, also you have to remember that this movie I don't think did well at the box office. I think it kind of just came and went. Yeah. Apparently there are sequels, which I haven't watched yet. Because Joshua Jackson's not I want to say that the director of this was Rob Cohen. Do you want to look that up? I think so. Because Rob Cohen, he, he, well, he, it's funny though, because this movie has Paul Walker and I think Cohen made the first Fast and Furious movie. Uh, um, again, I could be wrong about that. Yes, it is Rob Cohen. Yeah, this were there other, or were there other people aside from, I feel like there was someone else in this movie. Um, Craig T. Nelson is in it. <laughs> oh, okay. And actually, theme, he plays a character whose last name is Mandrake. Ah, there we go. Yeah, I... And also, the guy who plays the male lead in CSI, I think, Mm -hmm. Will Peterson is in it doing an atrocious Southern accent. So, so what is it, though, about this, though, that makes it, like, So, so, like, appealing to you? All right. So I'd wanted to see this back in the day, but I never got around to it. And it was a movie that every now and again, I would think to myself, I should watch this. Like, maybe, like, once every, like, few years, I would stop and think, I should watch this movie. And it's, I we have a subscription to Showtime, and Showtime had it in their on-demand catalog, so I didn't have to pay to see it. And the basic plot, yeah, it's about a skull and bones type organization. And Joshua Jackson plays a noble townie at an elite university. So he's at this really fancy school, and but he's, you know. He's poor. He's an orphan. And you know orphans have no parents. Thank you, Black Dynamite. (laughs) So, and... So, but in other words, he's more susceptible to a, you know, a society, you know, being included in a group that he's, that you know, that that is, that seems very exclusive. And he wants to get into this group because he wants to go to Harvard Law after... And what's funny is, even though Skull and Bones... He's from Yale. I don't think in the movie they actually explicitly reference that he's at Yale. I yeah. think they're just like, he's at an Ivy League college. And he wants to go to Harvard Law. And he's told if he joins this Skull and Bones organization, they'll grease the wheels for him to go to Harvard Law. They'll pay his tuition. And he needs someone to pay his tuition because he's an idealist. And he wants to practice the type of law that doesn't pay a lot. And he's got this girlfriend who, for her art project, his girlfriend's played by Leslie Bibb, who's primarily a TV actress. I don't know if she's in a lot of movies. Yeah, yeah, I've seen Bill as But she was in ER back in the day. She was on this show on the WB that was on like 20 years ago that I really liked that's been totally forgotten called Popular. Uh Uh-huh. Apparently, it was Ryan Murphy's first ever show, Mm. um, which I did not know at the time. But anyway... There's this subplot where, for her art project, she creates a robot Jackson Pollock. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, 
don't fucking remember that at all. So wow, that's something that's like gone down my memory hole. And so, but a robot Jackson Pollock. I'm just trying to. Yeah, she creates a Robo Pollock that just like splatters <laughs> paint. Oh, see though, but that 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 doesn't work because there's no in- artist intent. Well, here's the here's the drama. So. Joshua Jackson gets inducted into faux Skull and Bones. Yeah. His friend is trying to investigate Skull and Bones. Oh. And his friend gets murdered in the process of investigating this organization for the school paper. Yeah. So Joshua Jackson has to figure out who murdered his friend. Yeah. Meanwhile, another thing that I didn't expect about the Skulls, but that I really enjoyed... This movie is very homoerotic, <laughs> and I'm unsure to what extent this was in- intentional or not, but Paul Walker plays Joshua Jackson's, quote, soulmate. So in Faux Skull and Bones, all the men are paired off in these pairings called soulmates. And once you're paired off in this soulmate pod, you have I, to stay mm-hmm. in an intimate relationship with this man for the rest of your life. See, I do remember that from like when I saw the movie. Cause I remember, a, cause I remembered the scene where Joshua Jackson, Paul Walker are like standing face to face. Um, Again, not a social distancing movie <laughs> um, uh, where they're like having to talk about deep personal things. Well, the other thing is, yeah, they're put almost in like a sarcophagus and yeah, they're like that's, shoved see, right in each other's face. See, that's what I remembered because it was definitely like, because when I, even when I watched the movie and I didn't, you know, like I said, I didn't like it, I was like, this is different. So one thing I do find kind of fascinating is how these like aggressive macho environments breed all this like unintentional homoeroticism. So so it has a bit of like the Top Gun thing to it. I've never seen Top Gun, but I'll well, well you know, well, well, Top Gun is kind of notorious as like it, it you know, it's so much homoeroticism <laughs> in a movie that's meant to be like the super macho ideal movie. So, um, now, how's Joshua Jackson movie? He's good. I mean, here's the thing. It's a pretty bland part because he's, you know, the lovable hero who's like pure and good. So he doesn't get to engage in any like mustache twirling. Although at one point, he is locked up in a mental institution to keep him from telling the truth. That was the part that I, uh, when you were rewatching this, I walked in and I saw that part, which was shot like, what the fuck were you doing with the cameraman? Also, the movie ends in a duel, because why not? Yeah. And then other funny thing is Craig T. Nelson plays... um paul walker's father okay. in the movie and he's an evil senator <laughs> of course or no wait is he the businessman and this other guy is the senator so craig t nelson is he business business or <laughs> i gotta like look it up because i watched this movie like two ago, <laughs> oh no this is it okay so craig t nelson is trying to get on the supreme court he oh. wants to appoint to the supreme court and this other guy, the fake Southerner, is a senator. And even though these two guys 
hate each other. Uh-huh. They were paired together as soulmates like 25, 30 years ago when they were in uh. Faux Skull and Bones. So I think it's really weird that the fake organization has these like almost like forced marriages between yeah, this sound- all these men. This sounds like whoever wrote the script maybe wanted to make some type of statement about American exceptionalism and just was told by the studio, no, make it trashier. Now, when I recommend this movie, don't get me wrong, this movie is stupid, it's hackneyed, it's pretty lazy. Again, it's by the director of The Fast and the Furious. (laughs) And, but there's also the scene where... The kid who's doing the um, report for his school paper, the scene where he gets murdered, hilarious. (laughs) So, with the skulls, I not only got the pleasure of knocking a movie off my to-watch list, but it was actually really fun. Now, I am still unsure whether or not I'm going to watch the two sequels. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) They were were direct-to-video sequels of this movie. I remember seeing them in the video store and being like, oh, they made sequels to to these. Makes (laughs) sense (laughs) that I'd see them here in this blockbuster. Uh, Okay, now now for my movie, this this goes back a ways and um, and now, you know, I need to get, you know, slightly personal here, but uh, so the movie that I chose to watch was a film that I had seen basically since I was like a little kid in my mother's video collection. And what's funny is that when I was growing up, you know, I had so many videotapes and a lot of them were, you know, it's a lot of it was started by my dad kind of taping stuff off TV or making copies of movies. Um, don't come at me FBI. Uh, (laughs) but, uh, but my mom, you know, she would kind of, you know, hang out in the kitchen and she had like a little, you know, just like about maybe a dozen tapes of her own, like just sort of off to the side, you know, and like Jules and Jim was there and maybe the crying game and an actual bought copy of the Betty Davis movie now Voyager. And I would see this movie and I just think, huh, I don't know if this, you know, uh, this sounds like a, you know, Hollywood, you know, romance, 40s, eh, it's not really for did me. Did you write it off as a girly movie? I kind of did, yeah. I was I was a bit, you know, in, you know, I, I was poisoned by the patriarchy <laughs> for way too long. And, you know, and over the years, I would kind of think, maybe I should finally watch this movie. Because, um, you know, and I, I over the years, too, I watched other Betty Davis movies, you know, I've obviously seen the big ones like All About Eve and uh, Baby Jane, but, you know, I've also seen other, you know, movies that maybe you haven't, you know, some of you haven't seen like Marked Woman or, uh, or obviously some of her big vehicles like The Letter, uh, which is very good. Uh, but somehow now Voyager, I, I would still think like, oh, I should watch that, but I don't know, is it? Even, even, and this is even, you know, in the past few years, I would think, oh, is this still, I don't know, is it going to be very soapy? And finally, this past weekend, I decided, you know what? 
I and what's funny is I have a copy which I borrowed from your mom. Yes. Because you said that this is her favorite movie. Yeah, I saw now Voyager when I was a little kid because it was my mom's favorite movie, but I have no memory of it. Do we want to tell the story about what a cruel child I was to my mom? Oh, were you were you cruel to her? What 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 what? Is, well, it's just funny because this <laughs> I don't know. This doesn't exact. I don't know. This kind of ties into the movie a little bit. But why don't you say something? Okay. So it, only only what you feel willing to share on this podcast. I do not endorse this behavior of mine. When I was a kid, I got really into this TV movie about Ruby Ridge, and I had a VHS copy of it, and. What happened was one day our VCR broke and it broke in such a way that it ate my tape of Ruby Ridge. And you have to you have to keep in mind, this was back when it was much harder to watch things on mm -hmm. demand. So when I lost this tape, I was like, I'm never gonna be able to watch this movie again. I became convinced for some reason that my mom had sabotaged me. That uh. this was no accident. That my mom had gotten sick of me watching this Ruby Ridge TV movie. <laughs> and had deliberately and knowingly put my tape in a broken VCR. So I decided I was going to get revenge upon her. And I took her VHS copy of Now Voyager, fed it into a VCR I knew was broken to break her copy of it. And did it break? Yes. Oh. I'm sorry, Mom. <laughs> uh, and I wasn't always like that. I got you. Well, what, well, here, what's funny though is, well, you were showing a little bit of rebellion, which, <laughs> or you know, a little individuality, which I'll get into the movie. The other thing though that was uh, interesting for me to watch this uh, on the date I was watching it, um, it was actually my my late grandmother's birthday. Um, on the day it was, and I remember hearing my mom would talk about how, like, if what not, you know, even though she had this on tape, anytime that now Voyager would uh, come on TV, she would call her mother, my grandmother, and be like, "Now Voyager is on," and you know, they would both kind of be watching it at the same time, and and I don't know exactly how my mom first saw it. It was, you know, maybe she saw it on the, you know, one of these show, you know, you know, they used to play movies over and over again on TV. Uh, but I, the thing about this movie, so it's, um, for those who don't know, this is a 1942 movie starring Betty Davis and, uh, uh, Paul Henreid, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that name right. And, I don't even know who that is. Uh, and Claude Rains. Now, what, what's fascinating about this is Paul Henreid and Claude Rains not only were also in Casablanca, they started shooting, they, they were kind of actually schedule overruns, I think, on Now Voyager, to the point where I think Paul, either Paul Henry or Claude Rains finished their scenes on Now Voyager and literally the next day started shooting Casablanca. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, because they were both Warner Brothers movies. And um, with now, so Now Voyager, for those who don't know, it's a movie that's about... Um, uh, Betty Davis uh, grows up in this you know, kind of well-to-do household. Um, not like the, you know, they, well, they have money. They're not like the super elites, but they're, you know, pretty well off. And Bay Davis's character, oh God, now I'm blanking on her name in the movie. 
uh, oh, Charlotte, Charlotte, Charlotte Vale. That's it. Yeah. Charlotte is kind of the quote, ugly duckling. And in like the early scenes of the movie, they kind of give her like thick eyebrows and glasses, <laughs> almost like a slightly better version of what they do. in like, she's all that. <laughs> Well, you know, men seldom make passes at girls who wear glasses. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's not till Betty Davis loses the glasses <laughs> that she becomes, you know, approachable. Um, but she, you know, has been basically, you know, shut in for a lot of her life. And she, you know, and a lot of this has to do with her mother. Uh, and I'm blanking on the actress's name who plays the mother, but she's so great in this. Um and you know, ba- ba- you know, Charlotte Vance, you know, she, Van, Vane. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but Charlotte basically kind of has like a nervous breakdown because she's been kind of you know under the thumb of her mother for a lot of her life. And Claude Rains is this uh, you know doctor, this you know basically a therapist who tries to get her out of her shell and you know go out into the world. And so you know, a lot of the first half of this movie, maybe even two thirds of this movie involves charlotte you know finally you know get going out you know getting rid of those eyebrows and going on a cruise to uh i think it's buenos aires and that's where she meets uh, paul henry and uh this is where the romance part of the movie really is very strong uh and it's also you know there's kind of an iconic part of this movie because Claude, uh, I was about to say Claude, Paul Henry, uh, he has this kind of thing where he lights two cigarettes and you know then hands one of them to the the woman. And I actually read that after this movie came out because this was apparently the biggest movie of Betty Davis's career, uh-huh. and women would for the rest of his life just stop him on the street and make him do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and why not? It's a pretty suave move. Um, and she falls in love with this guy. And it's what I like so much is that it's about that type of process. It's, you know, cause it's, it feels like, you know, it has that escapist element of, you know, you go off on a cruise and meet a, you know, a tall, dark, handsome gentleman, you know, who, you know, maybe has his own status in the world. And, you know, you go off literally on a, you know, uh, uh, you know, you, you're overlooking the city of Buenos Aires at night and he, you know, mm-hmm. does the thing with the two cigarettes and hands you one. And it feels like it's, you know, like only something, you know, you could imagine in the movies, but it feels like it's also about that, about how a character grapples with that. And I really appreciate how the script you know, isn't you know it, it feel it has that surface of being an escapist movie, but it really is dealing with this character who's self actualizing. How much of their relationship does it cover? Uh, well, it's just well, what happens is though it it deals with it as kind of like a short lived romance because again they're on this you know this cruise, but it can't last forever, and oh, they so kind of know don't stay together after the well, ends. well. I don't want to spoil it. You know, there is something that happens in the third act. 1942. They eventually find their way back together, 
through a kind of circuitous path involving because Paul Henry was married is actually he's married when he meets Betty Ooh, Davis. So Betty Davis is the side piece, sort of, but they don't really consummate it. That's it's more of like an emotional thing. And but the but the other thing about this movie, which is why um, it's funny that we're talking about our mothers and you know my grandmother watching this is it's also like a mother daughter movie and a very uh, at times very soapy dramatic one at that because the mother of the household that Charlotte lives in you know there's a bit of like a Cinderella element to it okay. where. You know, again, Cinderella, you know, dumpy character who, uh, like, in fact, in Now Voyager, Charlotte's kind of considered the, quote, you know, frumpy aunt. Mm. Or I don't know if that's the exact term that was used, but um, but then she finds herself, you know, through this cruise, you know, and part of it is that romance of, fall, you know, you know, the romance of romance. But it's also realizing, hey, I can be an individual and I can make my own choices and you can't control my life anymore, mom. <laughs> you, you know, I'm a grown ass woman. Let me leave the house and have, you know, a night. You know, I'm not being debauched. I'm not doing anything. I just want to go out. And but her mother is frankly a tyrannical bitch. <laughs> and uh, there's just a lot of great soapy moments in this movie. I feel like it would probably pair off well, even though it's a little bit of the reverse point of view in uh, Mildred Pierce. I was thinking of Mildred Pierce, which... Yeah, well, in that one, that's where, you know, Mildred Pierce is the mother dealing with a bitchy daughter. Yeah, here, and, Betty Davis is dealing with a bitchy mother. Yeah, I mean, this mother... I mean, this is almost closer to, like, Norman Bates level. <laughs> uh, and... And then there's a, tw a thing that happens with the, the mother. I don't want to say what, but it changes Charlotte's life. But what's fascinating is in the last act, she then connects with Paul Henry's daughter uh. and becomes kind of like a mother figure to her. And then, you know, so it kind of comes full circle. And I really, I just like this movie so much. And I was so pleasantly surprised that... You know, I could see why it was such a big hit and why it made an impact on my on my mom and my grandma and your and mom. My mom. It's a, it's like a mom. It's a mom movie. Our moms have good taste. Yeah, no, it, it's. Uh, I could see why it's highly regarded. It's in a couple ways. It's dated a little bit. There's a scene midway through the movie where, uh, while they're on their trip in Buenos Aires, they're. Uh, the two of them are in like a cab or, or a car with a colorful uh, driver uh. who's basically a stock type. And there's a kind of comic moment, supposedly comic moment that just didn't work for me. You know what's also funny? You know how when you're seeing a movie, like a trailer for a movie, and it'll say like it's rated PG or rated PG-13, and then it'll say why it has that rating? Yeah. Now smoking factors into ratings for movies. Yeah, no, I think if this movie was rated today, it might get PG-13 just from the smoking alone. <laughs> There's so much smoking in this movie, and I think, I think my mom even said this might have had impact on her becoming a smoker. <laughs> um... But yeah, and Betty Davis is great in the movie, as you could imagine. I mean, she puts her all into the early scenes, but when she becomes kind of more of a, you know, 
how it's almost like we're seeing Betty Davis become Betty Davis before our eyes. And I think that's a part of the appeal too is, and I think that's, it's a very empowering movie for women because well, part of it is it, it has like this soapy exterior. Again, I think you would like it for that reason. I should really watch this because again, I'm sure I saw some of it over my mom's shoulder when I was a little kid, but I haven't seen this movie in any real way. I have no memory. Again, I was unfortunately too immature for this movie at the time that, you know, when back when, again, I, I, I can see, again, I could see the box for it, you know, in, you know, my memory, like right next to the, the tape for Jules E. Jim. Um, well, I think it's very appropriate that you recommended um, treasured Hollywood classic Now Voyager, and I recommended The Skulls, a hey, totally forgotten teen thriller. Hey, there's still time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you never know. Maybe this podcast will bring The Skulls back into prominence uh, in her mind, in, in you know, for the audience. But, but yeah, and also the other thing that's cool too. Um, I believe that the that now Voyager just joined uh, the Criterion Collection. Excellent. So I think uh, you can watch that if maybe you have the Criterion Channel or or again just you know if you can just swipe your mom's copy. <laughs> She's <laughs> bound to have one unless if it's broken. <laughs> yeah. Um, luckily, uh, if you're listening, Corey's mom, your copy is not broken. It's going to be safely returned to you. Yes. Um, but yeah, so I think that you could watch a lot of these movies. They are available on some type of VOD uh, in some form or another. Like I think even Dr. Strangelove is on the Criterion. I think you watched the skulls on just regular. Well, it was like, part of sh- like we subscribed to Showtime, so it was part of my. Showtime oh, okay, on Showtime. And I think Walk Hard was part of the Showtime package too. Like, yeah, I didn't pay to rent. Yeah, and I think Stop Making Sense is on Vudu, which is a random streaming service for free. So there are ways you can watch these movies. Uh, I mentioned that just because you know it's it might seem like well how can i watch these and they all should be available in some form or another uh and uh yeah that's that's pretty much it all right so we hope everyone is staying safe social distancing washing their hands if you're gonna smoke make sure it's not from someone who has corona (laughs) You know, if someone does that move with the two cigarettes, be like, uh, no thanks. I gotta keep my lungs in good shape. Yes, keep your lungs in good shape and make sure to social distance and wash your hands. And, you know, try to catch up on some movies if you can. And uh, and we hope that next time that we're recording, uh, it'll be about some, it'll be much happier times. Yeah, I hope next time we will record about, I don't know, um, maybe we'll be in the theater. Who knows when that'll happen again. (laughs) I messaged you, I saw on Twitter today that the box office for last weekend was $5,000. Well, my first thought when I saw that was, wow, that high? Me too. I couldn't believe, but yeah. Well, you know what it is. It's because there are some theaters that... I mean, there are some states that haven't put in complete stay-at-home orders yet, and I think probably in those areas they still have movie theaters open. A handful of them, but yeah, but yeah, I like I loved seeing that. That yeah, there was 
literally a hundred percent drop off in box office from a year ago. Yeah. Which, yeah. Hope again. Hopefully, next time we record, it'll be about something new. Um, but the thing is, I don't know about you, but I'm not paying twenty dollars to rent a film. So. That's true. Yeah, the last film uh, I saw in theaters was Onward, and. We didn't do an episode on that, but I recommend that if you can watch that somehow. Um, but yeah, stay uh, stay safe, everyone, and hope you can find a, a movie or two to watch. Uh, hopefully we've steered you in some kind of direction. And uh, until next time, I'm Jack. I'm Corey. And the wages of, of cinema is don't go outside. Yeah, hugs, but only with the pers- people in your immediate household that you're social distancing with. Good qualifier. Yes. Good night, everybody. Good night.